You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. All right. Well, thank you for your giving. Thank you again for being here. And today is the last Sunday of our United Summer Series. Through the month of July, uh, myself and many other pastors included have been sharing pulpits and uh, transferring to each other's places. Uh, We've been preaching the same message. And actually, I'm going to preach my message on forgiveness that I did way back at the beginning of July one more time in August. Uh, But we've been doing that and then coming full circle today, we knew we had a missionary with us, we asked uh, Ray Miller if he would preach his favorite parable and kind of conclude our United Summer Series. It's Lessons from Jesus, Parables, and what parables are simply is just a story that brings a spiritual message, and so we want to have our ears open, and uh, at the end of many of the miracles that Jesus shared, he said, let those who have ears what? Let him hear, right? And we want to hear from the word of the Lord. Ray, thank you for being flexible. And uh, really, this is out of his uh, wheelhouse. He normally just talks about missions, but come and preach the word from your favorite parable. Let's give him another hand as he comes. God bless you as you give. Amen. Well, this is, uh, this is really fun because as missionaries, we have as many as 150 services a year. And Uh, Sometimes we'll do a window like I did this morning, but uh, a lot of times we'll be asked to preach, and of course, as a missionary, you're expected to preach a missions message, and we're happy to do that, but it's kind of nice to do what we do back uh, in the Philippines is just preach pastoral messages and other kinds of messages and get a big, a more, a fuller uh, experience of, of uh, ministering God's word. So, and I wanted to say that I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but when a pastor offers someone to come in and speak and 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 feed the flock, uh, that always that always uh, is. Uh, is an issue of trust and uh, thank you so much Pastor Ben for the opportunity to share your pulpit it is an an honor and it is a trust and it is a a huge responsibility and a privilege so we appreciate that Uh, if you would turn your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 17 I want to share with you and as I was studying this I came to came to the conclusion that maybe it's not so much a uh, a parable in the strict sense as it is uh, kind of a rhetorical question that Jesus asked using terminology and situations in life that were very familiar to those that he was talking with. Uh, but uh, I also want to just recognize my lifelong friend, Mike Long, and his wife, uh, Jeannie, who are here. We've known each other since we bought this tall in uh, first grade. Uh, and so uh, we have seen the Lord do wonderful things in each of our lives as we've as we've stayed in contact over the years and uh, just appreciate you being here this morning. God bless you. Uh, Luke chapter 17 and can we stand together out of uh, reverence and respect for God's word? I'm going to be reading from beginning with verse one from the New International Version. Uh, Luke chapter 17 beginning with verse one and Jesus said to his disciples, It is inevitable that stumbling blocks should come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck 
and he were thrown into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times, saying, I repent, forgive him. And then verse 5. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Verse 7. But which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, Prepare something for me to eat, and properly clothe yourself and serve me until I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink? Verse 9. He does not thank that slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say, We are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray that through the working of your spirit that you would impress upon our hearts and cause to be implanted in our hearts the things that you want to say to us today through your word. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to worship through songs and through testimonies. And now we pray, help us, Lord, to worship you through listening, giving heed, and allowing your word to have its way in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. We can be seated. Uh, Message this morning, very simple title. It's really not about me. Um, This is really not an extremely difficult parable to understand or to look at if we want to think of it as a parable. But there are some things in this that really challenge us as we're looking at these first 10 uh, verses in the 17th chapter of Luke. Uh, If you look at the first six verses, uh, you're probably thinking, oh, I read that in Matthew or Mark or somewhere else in the Gospels. And, And those sayings of Jesus are recorded in other parts of the Gospels. But this particular part that we want to look at this morning and and emphasize, uh, verses 7 through 10, uh, appears to only be recorded in the Gospel of Luke. And the challenge this morning that I want to give to us is to see why Luke, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, wrote these things down the way that he did. And so for the next couple of minutes, I want to just kind of introduce this by looking at the background of the parable, or maybe better put, uh, rhetorical question that Jesus asked using terminology and situations that the disciples and others there were familiar with. Uh, Luke chapter 17 is the end of a very long part of the Gospel of Luke where Jesus is dialoguing and, and sharing with sinners. He's talking with the Jewish leaders. And he's also bringing his disciples into the discussion and saying, okay, watch this, listen to this, learn from what you're seeing and hearing here. And there are a lot of parables and teachings and even warnings that Jesus gives to his disciples in these uh, chapters 15, 16, and 17. And he comes to the conclusion of this long portion of the Gospel of Luke. We come to chapter 17, verses 1 through 4, and we see here what we could call uh, negative and positive priorities for 
his disciples and for each one of us. And both of these priorities, the negative and the positive, involve relationships, or we could say redemptive relationships that you and I, as disciples of Jesus Christ, need to be aware of. And the first one in verses 1 and 2 of Luke chapter 17, let me, let's look at that again. It is inevitable that stumbling blocks should come, but woe to him through whom those stumbling blocks come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to stumble. The first thing that we need to notice is the terrible punishment. And he says, he doesn't say it's going to be like this, that a millstone be tied around our neck and we're thrown into the sea. It would say, he said, that it is worse than that. Um, One of our little successes this term in the Philippines, I just kind of let you in on a little uh, side story, is that one of the pastors that we worked with uh, kind of the thing that they did when he was little, when they had too many cats, because they really don't do a lot of neutering and spaying in the Philippines. And so guess what happens? you got neighborhoods of cats roaming around and, and uh, terrorizing each other, and you have not lived until you have heard the mating calls in the middle of the night, night after night after night. So one of their little solutions for that is the, the gunny sack in the lake treatment. Uh, yeah, yeah, with rocks in it. And uh, I got this pastor to kind of like cats a little bit more, and he said, you know, we used to do that, but I'm not going to do that anymore. I don't have the heart to do that. But that's kind of just brings us, you know, from the place where we're looking at Scripture and says, oh, yeah, that'd be terrible, to thinking, yeah, that is really terrible. Who wants to do that to a cat? And Jesus is saying the punishment for causing one of these little ones to stumble is worse than that. I mean, I think he's saying something about the seriousness and this priority that relates to our relationships with with others. And there are a lot of different ideas about what does it mean, these little ones. Well, it could literally mean children, and this relates very much to what uh, Sister Debbie was talking about earlier in her ministry, which is which get behind that ministry and stay behind that ministry because they are doing a work for the kingdom. So it could be talking about little children, but there are also, there's also a view that it's talking about those who have newly come to Christ, to faith in Jesus Christ, these little ones. They might be physically and, and chronologically, they might be big, but spiritually they're little. And woe, Jesus said, to the one who causes even one of these little ones to stumble. He's talking about relationships. Don't cause others to stumble. And as we look down here at verses uh, 3 and 4, we see another priority, and it could be called a a positive uh, priority for our relationships with others. He says in verses 3 and 4, Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times, saying, I repent, forgive him. 
Now, I, I don't think I've ever really had that happen where somebody, they might have come to me once and maybe even twice, but seven times. And then Jesus puts it on steroids in another part where, of the Gospels where this, there's a similar saying to this. Even 70 times, seven, did you see that post in Facebook where Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's saying even 70 times seven, and then Peter's going off or one of the apostles goes off and, and he's thinking to himself, and he even wants us to do math in addition to that. <laughs> so this matter of forgiveness and restoration is a huge, huge priority that Jesus is talking about right here. In fact, one one person says, not only are Jesus' followers not to cause others to sin, but they are also to counteract sin by forgiving others. And so the positive is to forgive and restore those, not just those who sin, but those who sin against us. One of the things that seems to always be cropping to the surface when we use the term culture of revenge. I mean, a lot of the problems, not only in places like the Middle East, but in so much of the world, is that human beings have a culture of revenge. And we've got a lot of different ways of, of exposing that, bringing that out, justifying it, and calling it different things. But really, the bottom line, we live in a culture of revenge. There's a saying that I ran across from one of the Mid-Eastern countries. It goes like this. Kiss any arm you cannot break and pray to God to break it. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny, but underneath, there's a real value that's placed on revenge. And no matter how it happens or how long it takes, as long as it happens, because we want what we feel justice to be done. And we've all experienced this in the church. Have you ever had somebody come up to you that had been wronged and they start telling you about the wrong and who did this and what they did and all of that? And it's just human nature. It's more fun to do that and to kind of bring correction through a second party, isn't it? It's just, it's just more fun for us that way to do that because we don't have to really deal with it. And we can actually put it on the plate of the other person. One of the challenges of ministry in the Philippines is that is so deeply ingrained in the culture there. It's a real challenge to be able to somehow get around that or somehow bring people to the table where they're facing each other and talking directly with each other. But it's not limited to any one culture because it's part of human nature. It's part of what destroys our relationships. And Jesus, again, is warning not only to keep the little ones from stumbling, but also when there has been wrong, there has been sin, to do the thing that may not be seem to be so fun. But thank the Lord for the results when that process has an opportunity to really be completed. And so Jesus goes into these first four verses and he uses these to introduce what he's really trying to say here. Verses 5 and 6 also are interesting. Let's look at those again. 
So after Jesus has told the apostles what is expected of them in human relationships and kingdom relationships, then in verse 5, what do the apostles say? Lord, increase our faith. Interesting, um, interesting thing that he does to bring them to the place where they need their faith increased. And then Jesus replied to this, If you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Is Jesus trying to tell the disciples that as impossible as it is to do this literally that he's talking about, that it's just as impossible to fulfill these redemptive priorities in our relationships with other people? But that brought the disciples to the place where they realized they could not do this on their own. Uh, there's a commentator named Warren Wiersbe made a comment about this passage, and it said, Mature Christians understand that forgiveness is not a cheap exchange of words the way squabbling children often flippantly say, I'm sorry to each other. Have you ever done that with your kids? Say you're sorry. And you know in your heart of hearts, man, I wish he really believed it or really meant it. True forgiveness, Weirdby says, true forgiveness always involves pain. Somebody has been hurt and there's a price to pay in healing the wound. And listen to this. Love motivates us to forgive, but faith activates that forgiveness so that God can use it to work blessings in the lives of his people. You see, the disciples realized that both their culture of revenge and their nature made Jesus' demand impossible. And so here's how Jesus helps us to come to him and say, Lord, help me. He demands the impossible, don't cause little ones to stumble, forgive, restore others. He demands those things, and how, how does he do it? He gives us something that's impossible to do that moves us to that place where we say, Lord, increase our faith. You see, you and I go to people and we say, oh, I would never ask you to do something you can't. Might be a stretch. But you can do it. As we say in the Philippines, you can do it. But that's not the way that Jesus does it. It's like in school, we give you the information and then give you the test. A lot of times in the school of discipleship, we get the test first, and then we get the information because obedience and faith a lot of times need to come into play before we really get it and we understand it. But there are two steps in Jesus' prescription for stronger faith. He made them, first, he made them aware of their inability by commanding them to do something that was impossible. And then he confronted their sense of self-importance. And this is where we come to verses 7 through 10. So let's look, that, look at that again. So after, after he says this, verse 7, he says, But which of you, and this is where the question begins, 
the rhetorical question, but which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for me to eat first and properly clothe yourself and serve me until I have eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink? So apparently he had not heard of, uh, you know, some of the labor laws and so on like that. But really the the thing to understand, and, and here's another, another uh, scholar mentions this, most slave owners in that day had few slaves. Thus, the slaves did both field work and food preparation. The masters regarded this work as their slaves' duty, not an option. Nor was it considered honorable for masters to eat with their slaves, and it was virtually never done. The point of the illustration seems to be faith grows as one uses it as a servant. Its end is service and is never an end in itself. Faith is never an end in itself. And so this tells us how, as disciples, we need to, one side of how we need to see ourselves. We function, as unpopular as it might sound, we function as slaves with no rights or claims about what we are to do or to be. And that's hard for us. If you study church history, you will, you will learn, and worldwide church history, you will find stories and histories and accounts of people who had gone to all kinds of places, uh, Central Asia, Japan, Africa, all kinds of different places, and they literally laid down their lives, and nobody in the Western church probably has any idea about them. It was because, like that old movie, some, maybe some of us 50-plus uh, people remember that old John Wayne movie, They Were Expendable. I don't know if you ever saw that on Turner, uh, Turner Classic Movies or something like that, but there are all kinds of movies like that that illustrate this fact that we serve a larger purpose, a larger cause, and really... We are expendable. Our lives are not an end in themselves. They are lived out as what uh, I remember uh, Pastor Mike used to say. Uh, we used to have that thing, I'm a love slave of Jesus Christ, and before I got saved, that just ground me. I'm not anybody, but we are as disciples. We are love slaves of Jesus Christ. And so this is really bringing that out. But there's another dimension I want to bring out right now uh, in verse 10 because sometimes we might uh, stumble over this too. Uh, so you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves or unprofitable slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. And this word doesn't really say that the slave is, has no worth or has no value. It's really saying that we can, by the things that we do, the good things we do that we're supposed to do, we cannot add any value. Those things don't add any value, don't add any quality to our master because as human beings, we don't have that capability. Uh, did we have this? Yeah. This I-D-G-A-F, I do God a favor. 
Um, sorry. <laughs> we really don't do God favors. Uh, we can bless him. We can be pleasing to him. But we cannot, as human beings created by him, we cannot add value or profit or somehow do him a favor or improve his life. We can't do it. We don't have that capability to do that. But going back again to the relationships that Jesus was talking about here, we can't add or take away anything from God. But the redemptive relationships that you and I have every day to build up and to strengthen, to encourage, to do everything that we can to strengthen the relationship with God of those little, little ones who believe. To restore and to bring forgiveness and cleansing to those that have sinned and even have sinned against us. That may not, in a, in a theological sense, add to God because we can't do that, but it will add value and blessing and strength and stability and, and salvation to the lives of those that we can affect, our peop the people around us, fellow believers, and those who have yet to meet Jesus Christ in a real way. And that's... That's what I believe God has called us to do as servants. And it's, it, we're able to do that, first of all, when we recognize the task is impossible. We can't do it on our own. It requires a miracle. And then when we also realize that we are nothing more and nothing less than servants of God that he has purchased with his precious blood and invested in our lives his precious Holy Spirit. And so that's our privilege this morning. And that's the question that Jesus asks each one of us. Different culture, different time, but it's the same value because as members of the kingdom of God, part of the kingdom of God, we, we could never do anything to get in this place where we are. And we cannot in ourselves do the things that Jesus has commanded us to do. But the Lord can help us. He can work miraculously. He can change our hearts toward those who have wronged us. He can give us a love and a compassion and a vision for the little ones that maybe have just come to Christ or have been, been in Christ for some time, but they're hurting and they're suffering. And he can use each one of us to do that. Let's stand together. And I just want to pray quickly and turn it back over to Pastor Ben. God's looking for those who will come to him with no agenda. Just like that little guy you saw a minute ago. No agenda, just to worship him, to love him, and just to say, Lord, whatever you expect of me, I belong to you. I'm your love slave, and I belong to you. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you this morning. I want to ask, if, as we're standing here, if you just felt like the Holy Spirit nudged you with something in the message this morning, if you want to just acknowledge that, just raise your hand. I want to just quickly pray, pray with you and pray for you this morning. Are there others this morning? 
want to give the Holy Spirit a chance to, to stir our hearts and to do his work. Father, we come before you right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you for this message, Lord. Thank you that you have brought us into your kingdom, not to do what we have the ability to do, but to do the things through your power and through your grace that you alone can do in and through us. Help us to see ourselves not, it, not as unworthy servants in the sense of there's no value there, but to see us and to see our service to you, Lord, as we can't really do anything to improve or to change you, but you can flow through us, your grace can flow through us, Lord, to bring value and grace and mercy and blessing, forgiveness, and just a whole new life, Lord, to the people around us. Thank you, Lord, for this great privilege of being vessels of honor for you, Lord, vessels through which your Holy Spirit can move and change lives forever. Thank you, Heavenly Father. I pray for each one, Lord, that has sensed the Spirit tugging at their heart and that you would continue that work and bring that work to completion. And for this, Lord, we give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.